Will you take God's word, please, and turn with me to 2 Kings and chapters 6 and 7. The second book of the Kings, chapter 6, verse 24, into verse 7, chapter 7. And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria. And indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. And you're meant to feel the, the force of just how much money is being paid for such commodities as this. It's enforced further from verse 26. Then as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help my lord, O king. And he said, If the lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? Then the king said to her, what is troubling you? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, Give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes and as he passed by on the wall, the people looked, and there, underneath, he had sackcloth on his body. Then he said, God do so to me, and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. But Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a man ahead of him. But before the messenger came to him, he, that is Elisha, said to the elders, do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still talking with him, with them, there was the messenger coming down to him. And then the king said, Surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a seer of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord could, would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes but you shall not eat of it. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall only die. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. 
For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. Let's pray once more. Lord, help us to to feel the force of what we've read, to be able to transfer it properly into our own experience as the people of God, to appreciate the dynamics of what's taking place here, and then to live and to speak in a way that brings glory to you. Lord, grant these mercies. Grant them for Jesus' sake and your own honour, we plead. Amen. Amen. It's a graphic episode. At points, shocking to the point of distressing. Bad enough to think about huge sums of money being exchanged for the heads of donkeys and doves' droppings. Still worse when you have these women arguing about the fact that one of them hasn't been fair in granting that her son should be their food for the next day. And when you come to the point that we have reached, I hope you feel something of the moral urgency of this moment. These leopards have gone out from the the gates of Samaria. And when they arrive in the camp, remember, they don't necessarily know all that detail ahead of time. They just arrive in the Syrian camp expecting to be captured, perhaps at least to be fed, but perhaps equally likely to be killed. And instead they find the camp deserted and everything that the Syrians had brought for the siege just left behind in their tents. And you can imagine then the uh, interest with which these starving men, these lepers from the gates of Samaria, fall upon these good things. They went into one tent, they ate and they drank, they carried from it silver and gold and clothing. They have simply inherited a divine triumph. Four lepers walking feebly away from Samaria sounded to the Syrians like all the armies of the Hittites and Egyptians flying down upon them. And the Syrians have fled in fear. God has accomplished a great deliverance. God has done something that no man could have done. And these lepers simply walk in and receive the abundant blessings of the divine accomplishments. There is good news to be told of a great deliverance. And the starving city 
is almost within reach. They can see this place where men and women are trading at these rates for the most vile of foodstuffs, are willing even to kill their own children in order that they might survive another day. And those desperate people are within a few moments of getting their hands on this full and rich supply. But at this point, they are fatally ignorant. Every moment that passes, there are more people in Samaria who are dying of starvation. Because the truth about God's redemption, the truth about this divine deliverance, has not yet been told to them. Now, I hope you can immediately see the gospel parallels. I hope in one sense I don't even need to explain any more about how we get from there to our own circumstances. These lepers, if I put it bluntly, they know the truth of God's salvation accomplished. And the people who need to hear it need to hear it from them. If they don't speak, the Samaritans die. But if they carry to them the news that God has accomplished this and they bring these people into possession of these blessings, then the people will live. And that's the realisation that comes to the lepers as they start working their way through the tents of the Syrians. We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news and we remain silent if we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. These lepers, these four men, they knew that they were not doing right. They knew that they were not doing right. They didn't say it was wrong that they should be eating and drinking. That's exactly what they should have been doing if they're starving men. That's what you'd expect them to do. To enjoy the blessings of what God has accomplished is perfectly normal and natural. When they were taking some of this silver and this gold, they weren't stealing. They were just taking what was lying in front of them. The Syrians had left these things. These are now effectively the spoils of war. The, the, the wrongness doesn't lie in the fact that they are stealing. The wrongness lies in the fact that they are not sharing. They're enjoying the blessings, but so far, no one else knows. These men cannot eat all the food that the Syrian army has left behind. They cannot carry and hide all the gold and silver that's been left as the spoil of war. There is enough for them and an abundance more. And their blessing, even more than it implies, it imposes a duty. They are guilty now of a sin of omission, not a sin of commission. A sin of commission is when you do something that you ought not to do. A sin of omission, when you omit something, you leave out something that you ought to do. And that's what grips these men at this moment. We are not doing what we ought to be doing. We are not doing the right. We are not positively, actively, definitely, definitively making a right response to what we have seen. 
We are hiding something now that ought to be declared. We're enjoying something that others ought to enter into. And at this point, it has struck them. Here they are in all the wealth of the Syrian spoil and their hearts are troubled and their conscience accuses them. The circumstances compel this conclusion. We're not doing what is right. Look at what we have got. Look at how much we've received. Look at the abundance that is lying here before us. Consider what God has accomplished. And just a few yards, perhaps, from them, just beyond the the Syrian camp, there is a city full of starving people. Now, brothers and sisters, do we ever stop and think the way these lepers think with regard to our conduct and our behaviour as the people of God? Do we ever stop to consider that we have inherited, not by any great labour and effort and accomplishment of our own, but by the mighty works of a saving God, a treasury beyond calculation, food and drink for starving souls, and all the wealth of Christ's saving accomplishments in our hands. We're not stealing when we enter into what Christ has accomplished. But my question is, are we sharing? It's not wrong to enjoy the blessings, but it is not right to keep the blessings from others. Are you at all agitated by your own standing in this regard as a Christian? Is your conscience at all troubled that you're not doing what is right with regard to the fruits of salvation by God through Jesus Christ. I tell you frankly that I am. More and more it troubles me. Perhaps it's a reflection of the fact that as we're working our way through Luke's gospel, we're seeing more and more of the marvels of mercy that God has made known in Jesus Christ. There's this sense of a growing weight of what Christ is about to accomplish on the cross. We know what he has done. There are things that we've studied through, things that we've read through, things that we're beginning to understand individually and as a congregation. Does it bother you that as a church we might be in danger of hiding what needs to be revealed, of hoarding what ought to be distributed I tell you frankly it bothers me it grieves me I say as a man let alone as a minister that I am not persuaded that we are doing right these men knew that they were not doing right and I feel in measure the same and then they knew that they had good news that they were not sharing that's where the, uh, the, the agitation becomes specific. This day is a day of good news and we remain silent. 
Now, the evidence that it was a day of good news lay heaped up all around. They'd already carried some away and they'd hidden it. They were full now, their bellies full of good food and good drink. In the besieged city of Samaria, there is nothing. Amongst the Syrian army surrounding the city, there is everything that they could wish for. And now the enemy has been defeated. Again, that's not something they'd been involved in except that they happened to be the men who were walking towards them at the time when the Lord was pleased to make this sound in their ears and they drew this conclusion that the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians were coming to attack them on behalf of Israel. The spoils of war, God's triumph, are waiting to be claimed. And they're to be claimed this very day. It's all here in our hands. And anybody who wants to can simply come and claim these things for themselves. And yet not far away there are people who are starving and who are dying. Every bite that these men take in the Syrian tents is another expiring breath amongst the starving men and women and children of Samaria. Every minute that they are silent about what God has accomplished and what God has provided, another person succumbs to the grave in Samaria. Imagine yourself floating on a pond or on the sea and you're in a dinghy. It's a beautiful dinghy. It's equipped with everything your heart might desire. You know, it's got reclining rests and, uh, and you've got a drink in one hand. You've got a sandwich in the other. There's a cooler on your feet. There's a, a fishing line hanging over the side. Everything is absolutely peachy. And a few feet away, regrettably... There's a drowning person. It's not pleasant. You, you wish it weren't the case. You rather regret that this person has got themselves into terrible trouble. And you would be quite happy if someone could somehow do something about it. But there you float. In your buoyant little palace. Enjoying the good life, as it were. It's a sad thing that they're dying but you're not doing anything about it, despite the fact that you've got a dinghy, you've got all these good things, you could do something to help. These things, this good news, these blessings, this is all as a result of divine deliverance. We have good news this day, and we remain silent. Brothers and sisters, is that what we know we're not doing right? It's not just a generic sense of unease. It's a very particular conclusion. This lies in our hands. We have the good news of God's accomplishments, and yet we remain silent. But they knew something else as well, according to this verse. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. They knew that continued silence would have dire consequences. Now, certainly, those might be, in their case, from men. Perhaps they also have some sensitivity that they could be from God. When the sun rises high enough 
And some sharp-eyed lookout on the walls of Samaria realises that the Syrians have fled and left everything behind. How do you think they will feel when they come out and they find that these lepers have been making merry in the Syrian camp for the last few hours? Not going to happen, go very well for the lepers at that point. But there seems to be a, a greater sense here. There's a, a moral issue for these men. It may be that they recognise that God will hold them accountable for enjoying the fruits of his saving accomplishments while they remain silent with regard to those who are starving not far away. And I think it's proper for us then to ask ourselves what might come upon us because of a sinful silence with regard to God's saving mercies? I think the answer could be individual. I think the answer could be congregational. Individually, our consciences are troubled. Do you feel guilty because you've lost particular opportunities? I do, and I think I should. Now, not everyone, it's easy sometimes we torture ourselves. Oh, if only I'd said this, if only I'd said that. Yeah. Well, I just spent two hours thinking about how I could have said that. I only had two seconds to think about it at the time. We're not talking about some kind of false excellence where it doesn't matter where or when or under what circumstances you are. You always have the perfect answer to every question, the perfect approach to every person. But is your conscience agitated? Is your heart distressed? Is your conscience accusing you? Because you have opportunities and you do not take them. And perhaps you become accustomed to silencing your conscience. You, you tell yourself, well, I'm just not that kind of person. Or now's not the time and this isn't the best moment. And when the right opportunity comes, I'll be sure to take it. It just hasn't yet. And it's been five years, but maybe at some point something will work out. You will live with a conscience that troubles you if you are a true child of God who doesn't speak of the good things that you have received. And then your own peace and joy will be shaken. I honestly believe, based on what I read in the scriptures, based on what I understand from the best physicians of souls that are available to me, that one of the reasons why we are so often ourselves troubled, one of the reasons why we so much lack assurance and certainty, one of the reasons why we do not live as we should, one of the reasons why we don't know the operations of the Holy Spirit in our midst as we might wish, and as we often pray, is because we are not being faithful to the charge that God has given to us. Some of us know the opposite by experience. You go with fear and trembling into a certain situation. The sweat's running down your back. You're, you're stammering over your words. You don't know what to say or how to say it. You, you, you look on your face, hopefully, as if you're, you're speaking normally, but inside your heart's racing and your, your mind is going 19 to the dozen. You think, what do I say and how do I speak? And it's not just that you walk by saying, at least I've done my duty. But God helps you. And it's hard because you're speaking into darkness and there's resistance and there's antagonism and there's a dismissive spirit. But you have spoken the truth concerning Jesus Christ 
And as you have spoken of him, your own sense of these things, even in the very moment of your declaration, is being ensured and and enforced and established and built up. So that rather than saying, when I feel good about this, then I'll speak, we say, I will speak. And as we speak, a sense of peace comes, a sense of confidence grows. Our courage is enhanced in that very moment. And the certainty and the assurance of the things that we believe is established in our very souls. And my friends, we miss that. We miss that if we always keep our silence. If we don't speak, we'll face the chastisement of lost opportunities. I know, again, that we can torture ourselves with a false guilt. But have you ever lost somebody and you thought, if only I'd gone and spoken to them? I I, I kept meaning to. I kept wanting to. But now the opportunity is gone. Sometimes it's death itself that takes them away. Sometimes it's a, a shift in circumstances. I, I, I meant to tell that colleague of mine about Jesus, but never quite got the opportunity, and, and now she's moved to another office across the city. There's a price to us in loved ones damned. If I don't speak, even to some of those who are closest to me, Like the Apostle Paul, those whom I love according to the flesh, my kinsmen, the people of the same blood with me. Paul said, I could account myself willingly to be accursed if only I knew that they were coming into the kingdom. Paul, at least, was a man who was faithful to them, even at the cost of his own blood. What will happen to you at the day of judgment? You may be welcomed into the kingdom on the basis of the righteousness of Jesus Christ because of the mercy and the goodness of God. But might you hear, before you enter into the bliss of heaven, the accusations of the lost? You never told me. You knew about this Jesus. You knew about this hell. You knew about this heaven. And yet you never warned me you never held out mercy to me and what would we have you wouldn't have wanted to hear it my friends we have the silver and the gold and the food and the drink in our hands their blindness does not mean that it is right for us to hold our silence and i think ultimately people who have backslidden and apostatized because they've just held on to the truth and not shared it they've hoarded it they've kept it for themselves they've become if you like gospel misers which is a terrible terrible thing to be and there are whole denominations crippled and chilled by this mentality what might be the effects congregationally if we hold our silence distance from God himself What is God like? What is our God like? Why do you know the gospel? It is because God in his mercy has made it known. It's because somebody dared to speak to you about Jesus Christ. And for some of you, that may have been a big deal. 
You might be the person that if they were walking past this building and one of us was standing outside, you might be going, well, I'll give it to that person, I'll give it to that person. I don't think I want to get involved with that person. We can see that one coming. And someone loved you enough, a family member, a pastor, a friend, a street preacher, someone was willing to risk your antagonism to tell you about Jesus Christ. Perhaps you went suspicious. Perhaps you went doubting. Perhaps you went a bit like these Israelites might have done. The Syrians are hiding outside. They're just trying to entrap us. They're trying to catch us. But no, we have a God who sends people to speak. We have a God who sheds light abroad. We have a Christ who comes into the world to make God known. And if we run counter to God in this... If we have a speaking God and yet we are a silent people, do you think we will enjoy the favour of God upon us? Would it not grieve the Spirit? What does the Spirit delight to do? Where does the Spirit of Christ... We often talk about the humiliation of Christ as he comes into the world and takes flesh and blood. Do you ever think about the humility of God the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit does not take the limelight. The Holy Spirit works the spotlight. The Holy Spirit loves to take and to show the things that belong to Jesus Christ. He is the one who carries the word into the hearts of sinners. He is the one who illuminates Christ in our eyes. He is the one who gives us eyes to see. He is the one who makes known the Lord. He is the one who brings life into the souls of the dead. This is his delight, that Christ may be glorified, that the Son of God may be known, and by his being made known, that light may come into the darkness and life to those who are dead. Now, do you think that such a spirit is grieved by a silence with regard to the very Christ in whom he delights? Do you think the spirit is pleased by a church that, by and large, does not speak as we could? Not saying no one ever says anything ever, but that a church that is not taken up as God himself is, with the making known of the great news of salvation. I think churches shrivel when they are not genuinely evangelistic. I'm not saying that it is all that we are about and everything that we are about. But churches that over generations, sometimes even more quickly, people are dying off. It's a horrible phrase. But no one's coming in. There's no new life. And though there are mature and competent saints there, there's never any backfilling. No one is being converted. No one is being baptised for the dead, if, if that's the way that phrase is to be taken. No one taking up the place of those who have gone before. And ultimately, my friends, again, I fear that the candlestick can be removed from a church that does not take pains to make Christ known. What do we live for? What is our purpose? We are here to glorify the God of our salvation. Every Lord's Day, we get to come together and to enjoy the spoils of the divine triumph. If you're a Christian, you're here this evening 
and you have life from death. Christ is yours, and in Christ you have God. God is yours because you are Christ's. The Spirit indwells you. You have the bread from heaven that feeds your soul. You have the fellowship of the saints. You have spiritual food and drink in abundance. You have all the riches of the glory of God's dealings with you in Christ Jesus. There is more goodness and glory and mercy and kindness and favour in Jesus Christ than you could begin to comprehend, that you could begin to, to carry away. You could hide a thousand, thousand, thousand truths in the depths of your soul and you would never exhaust the excellencies and the beauty and the glories that belong to Jesus Christ. Do you think we're going to lose something by telling someone else about the Lord Christ? Do you think we're going to be deprived by sharing him too much? Do you imagine that there's not enough in the Lord Jesus to go around? That somehow he would be diluted? That we would be deprived rather than enriched as Christ brings in his chosen ones? And if we do not then properly reflect the character and the intent and the purposes of God, could God not say, I will take away the candlestick? This is not why I've given you light. You're hiding it under a bushel. What did God do when the people who were being saved in the very earliest days of the church refused to take the gospel to those who needed it. God blew with the winds of persecution and scattered the embers of his church far and wide. The gospel light and heat might be shed abroad. My friends, what will it take for us to start telling people about Jesus Christ? What will God need to do with us in order for us to be more effective evangelists? Good news kept to ourselves has consequences, individually and congregationally. These men knew that they were not doing the right thing. They knew that they had good news that they were not sharing They knew that if they kept silent, that there would be some fearful consequences. And they knew that the time to speak had come. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. You see how the conclusion bound them all together. Let us go and tell. There were four lepers Four of them had entered into the blessings that the Lord had accomplished on their behalf and between them they concluded that the time had come to go and let others know. They had to make sure that the news got out. We need to go and tell the king's household. There's a determination here to speak. And that's the determination that needs to grip our hearts as God's people. It is right that we should wish that people should hear the good news and be converted. It is right for us to hope that somehow someone will come to know of their state as a sinner and the provision that God has made in Jesus Christ. 
It is right for us to pray that God would have mercy upon the lost. It is right for us to long that those who are close to us and those who are further afield would enter into the kingdom of God. But wishing and hoping and praying and longing are not speaking. So often in congregations like this, what do we find? That someone else with far less light than we believe we have, somebody actually bothered telling someone about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they kind of bump into us and and we, as it were, pick up the pieces. Friends, why aren't we the ones? If we know God the way we know God... If we see Christ the way we see Christ, if we know the Holy Spirit the way we say we know the Holy Spirit, if we understand the Bible the way we understand the Bible, if we grasp this great sweep of covenant mercy, if we have understood something of the glory of God as it shines in the face of Jesus Christ, I have to ask, what's wrong with me that I can know all those things And not have a desire to actually tell people, I know all the reasons why I don't. I know all the, just like these lepers, they're not going to believe us. They might have said that, no one's going to believe us, they're all going to be suspicious. But no, they went and they spoke. My friends, we need to say something. We need to tell people the good news about what God has done and what he has provided for us. Are we ready then to speak? Not all of us in exactly the same way. Not all of us with the same gifts and opportunities. Not all of us with the same duties and liabilities. But leaving that to one side, are we as a congregation ready to actually start telling people about God's glorious salvation and all its fruits for those who desire it. To whom should we speak? First of all, we should talk to the church. Have you been blessed? Has God shown you mercy? Has God lavished upon you loving kindness? Has God used a Sunday school teacher or a preacher to do your soul good? Has God used somebody in the congregation who's spoken to you to point you toward Jesus Christ? Has God used the united testimony of a church that loves God and serves him to point you toward heaven? Then you should tell the church. What's one of the reasons why we don't do anything? It's because it doesn't work. What difference does it make to you when somebody says, oh, this happened to me and and I was converted? We've heard testimonies in the last year or so from people who say, that's wonderful, that's fantastic. Isn't it great that God works like that? Yes, it is. Do you actually believe that God could work like that here? Well, no, that sort of happens to other people in other places. But what happened to your soul when you heard how God had worked in somebody? You were excited, weren't you? You were thrilled. You are struck afresh by the wonders of God's redeeming power. And so we should speak to one another. We should testify to the church to encourage one another and to rejoice together. 
If you have become a Christian, you ought to tell God's people that you are one of them and how God has accomplished those things. How you have entered in to the joy of the spoils of Christ's war against the kingdom of darkness. And not only should you speak to the church, but you should speak to the world more generally. That's one of the things that baptism is. If you are a Christian, you should be baptized. If you have what we call a credible profession of faith, if God has saved you, if he's loved you with an eternal and unchangeable love, if he's worked in your soul, if he's drawn you to Jesus Christ, if he's made you feel your sin and your misery and your shame, and then he's lifted the burden of those things, washed you clean in the blood of Christ, the, the weight of your sin has rolled off your back, and now you are a child of God, then the world needs to know and the church ought to see. And you might say, well, I need to sort this out, or I'm afraid about this person knowing, or I've got this... My friend, if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you ought to be baptised. Now, there are seasons or times when we as a congregation might just need to say, that's wonderful. Especially sometimes with those who are younger. We're not trying to discourage anybody, but we want to see the fruits of faith someone comes to maturity but if you're a Christian then you ought to be baptised and you ought to be asking and you ought to be pursuing and you ought to be seeking after these things and there's a testimony to bear to others do you have parents who don't know about Jesus do you have brothers and sisters who don't know Christ for themselves? Do we have uncles or aunts who are hostile to the gospel? Are our sons and daughters all saved? I have neighbours, not just within walking distance, within talking distance, and I'm not persuaded that they have heard from me the gospel as they ought to have done. I have colleagues and I have friends and what they need more than anything is to know the Jesus who saves. My friends, I'm sitting on the treasure. <laughs> I've got food and drink in abundance. I revel in all the saving mercies of God. I don't need to hoard it. I don't need to hide it. I need to spread it. I need to testify of these things. God has not hidden away some meagre little deposit of more or less kindness that needs to be portioned out in, in scraps or slivers, as if there's not enough to go around, as if you might be saved and you might be saved and you might be saved and I might be saved, but I'm sorry, there's just not enough for the rest of you. What has God worked? What has God accomplished? What wonders of redeeming love shine forth in the salvation accomplished by Jesus Christ? Here God just chased off a few thousand Syrians. In salvation, God has defeated all the forces of hell. 
Here God just put to shame Ben-Hadad, the Syrian king. In redemption, God has beggared the devil, has robbed him of his power, has taken away everything that he thought belonged to him and restored it to its rightful owners. Are we speaking of the great mercies of a saving God? The time to speak has come. I'm not sure that I'm doing right. I'm not persuaded that we are doing right. There are many things that we do well, many things that we enjoy as we should, but I think there are some things in which we fall short. We have good news, don't we? Don't we? Are we sharing it? Or are we hiding it? Are we aware that continued silence when we know better is going to bring chastisements from God? Are we persuaded now that the time to speak has come? I know that I can preach this tonight and I'll struggle with this before the day is out. Perfectly honest with you. I know that by Monday morning, the convictions that I now express will be harder to put into practice. I know that it's relatively easy for me to speak the good news in here where we all agree that it's good news than it is to speak it outside. I know that to the world, we might be considered a bunch of lepers. But I don't get any impression that the problem when these lepers went back to Samaria was that they were lepers. The news was too good. The tragedy is the people still suspected them. We found that tonight. We tried to tell people about Jesus Christ. Some of them think they know the game we're playing. Some of them think they know the tricks we've got up our sleeve. Some of them are very confident that they already understand what goes on in a building like this and they don't want anything to do with it. But don't we know that they don't know? <laughs> don't we know that we do know? You see, you and I, we, we won't speak until we know. These four men, they had full bellies and they had gold and silver stashed away in abundance. They had tasted and seen that God was good. Do you know that? You can't speak until you do know. You won't speak until you do know. But if we're enjoying divine deliverance, then now has come the time to speak. And so I plead with you tonight, if you are not yet enjoying the fruits of the finished work of Jesus Christ, please hear what this sermon has fundamentally been about. It is not enough to be religious. It's not enough to know that the Syrians have fled. It's not enough to know that their tents are full. I'm saying come and eat and drink of the spoils of God's work. I want you boys and girls, not just to know about what God has done, but to know the God who has done these things. I want others of you here, who perhaps have dabbled a little with religion, you've had a little interest 
Perhaps you come along from time to time. I want you to be saved by trusting in Jesus Christ. I'm coming to you like the lepers to the starving people of Samaria. And I'm saying, believe what I have to say. God has done great things for us. God has made us glad. And you are sitting here tonight amongst people whose souls are full of divine riches. We have a Christ. We have a God who is our Father in heaven. We have a shepherd. We have a king. We have a prophet. We have a priest. We have a kingdom. We have the shed blood of the Lamb of God. We have a hope. We have a glory which is to come. We have been declared righteous in the sight of God. We have peace with him through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's all found in the Son of God who came and died. And if you come to him now, you can have it all. There is enough in him for you and to spare. Take Jesus Christ. Enter into the accomplishments of God. Starve no longer, but feast upon Christ. And if we're feasting, isn't the time come to speak? I'll not go hungry, not if I've tasted the bread of heaven. I'll never be poor again, not if my treasure is stored up in the kingdom where moth and rust do not corrupt and where thieves do not break in and steal. I can afford to go, I can afford to speak. If I don't, I do wrong. I have good news this day, and so do you, Christian brother, Christian sister. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we were able to say to one another, I couldn't find someone to speak to. <laughs> This was burning a hole in my heart. I had a Christ to offer. I had blessings to bestow. I had a kingdom to point to. I couldn't find enough people to tell. Rather than, I held my peace when I should have spoken. The lepers said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a good of good news and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. My friends, we have better news of a greater deliverance. And there are starving thousands all around, some of them into whose eyes we can look and whose hungry souls we hear grumbling. The time has come for us to speak. You may only do it once this week, but will you do it? You may do it stumblingly and foolishly. You may do it and people might say, we don't believe you and we're not interested. But don't you know the truth? Don't you know the reality of these things? So let us speak. Speak of what we know. And may God in his mercy open the eyes of the blind. Open the mouths of the hungry that they may eat and be filled.